Support for KBUT comes from Townie Books and Rumors Coffee and Tea House, serving Allegro organic coffee and fine loose-leaf teas. Townie Books stocks new books and can special order anything. Drink coffee, read books, fight evil. Welcome to the West Elk Word. I'm Tony Todd here today with Jessica Wirtz from Project Hope of the Gunnison Valley. Project Hope supports and advocates for individuals who are affected by relationship violence and sexual assault. Jessica, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. What's your position at Project Hope? I am the Outreach and Prevention Coordinator. Okay. Let's start with a little orientation to Project Hope. I know you used to be called Jubilee House and many in the community know you as that as well. When did you change your name and why did you do that? Yeah, so we are, it, we were Jubilee House for many, many years and so a lot of people still recognize us as that. But um, over the years, um, there were a lot of different mergings with other similar organizations that sort of, I think sort of got a little bit confusing. And so in 2012, the group, as it was at that time, decided to change their name to the Gunnison-Hinsdale Confidential Advocacy Center, which is a little bit of a mouthful, but they wanted it to really be clear about what the organization did. Mm -hmm. But then two years later in 2014, there was another group called the um, Center for Restorative Practices that was for um, victims and of all of all kinds. And there was a decision to merge with that group again. So there was another merging of, of organizations. And I think that they just wanted to come up with a, a new name to reflect like a new organization sort of just a a fresh start, I guess, with a new name and with a new mission and really clear about sort of a a clean slate moving forward. Well, and it definitely has a positive sound to it. Project Mm -hmm. Hope sounds far more forward-looking and positive and frankly hopeful Mm -hmm. than Jubilee House probably had a kind of nice ring to it too, just because we were all used to it, but weren't quite sure what it meant. Right. Yeah. 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 So let's talk a little bit about that mission. Mm -hmm. Um, Since the mission has changed a little bit, what is your mission and what do you do? Yeah. So um, as you said in the intro there, we support those affected by sexual assault and intimate partner violence or relationship violence. And so what that means is we provide a range of services to folks and it can be, um, when I say people affected, that can be people directly affected who've experienced that um, abuse or those uh, family members or who are sort of related to someone who was directly affected. So we serve both, uh, we call them primary and secondary victims. And so we provide services um, every, we have sort of two categories. We have our emergency services and that's the things that lots of times people think of the emergency shelter, transportation. Someone's in danger, in an imminent yep. danger right now. So you have to get them out of a bad situation and get them someplace safe. Exactly. Yeah. Yep emergency, like right now, urgent Mm -hmm. things. And then we have sort of more long-term services that are things like uh, making a safety plan, um, maybe for someone who's not ready to leave a situation, but they want to come up with things that can make them feel safer where Mm -hmm. they are. Um, We can help hook folks up with some counseling that is free of charge to them. We 
can help navigate the legal system if someone chooses um, to go that route of reporting something or if they need to get a divorce or something like that. And we can also just help hook them up with other community resources. If you're leaving a situation, maybe suddenly your income isn't sufficient and you need some need to be on some assistance programs and you're not sure how to do that. So we can help with those kinds of things as well. Wow, that's pretty comprehensive. Yes, yeah. And I assume you see uh, such a wide variety of circumstances that every individual's plight is unique, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. I noticed that you use the term in your mission and on your website, relationship violence. And I think we used to, we were kind of used to hearing the, the term domestic violence for many years. Why do you think the change there matters? Yeah, so I think that it's sort of twofold. Um, I think that we are wanting to, A, be a little bit more wide-ranging in what that looks like, that it's not just sort of domestic has a little bit of a connotation of a little bit old-fashioned The sort of oppressed housewife concept, right? right? Living in the the Mm -hmm. domestic realm, but also... um, we want to be really specific about what we mean when we when we use any of those terms, um, and there's some confusion over because the word domestic is just talking about a household, and so that kind of if you use that term, it could be applicable to uh, abuse and violence in between family members who aren't in an intimate partner relationship. So that could be between a parent and a child, siblings, mm-hmm. an uncle, whatever, um, and unfortunately that doesn't fall under our specific mission to help with those other kinds of relationship violence situations. So we want to be really specific that we're helping um, people that are in a romantic or an intimate relationship. A a partnership of Mm -hmm. sorts, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now I know that probably most of the folks you help are women, but that isn't all of the folks you help, right? Correct. There are men who are victims of relationship violence as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think in nationally, I think one in seven men um, are victims of a severe physical abuse from their, uh, their partner. So it happens to everybody more frequently than maybe people think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what's the, what's the ratio for women? I think it is one in four. Wow. So, so if, I'm sitting in a room of 20 people and I look around me, there could be five or six people in that room mm-hmm. who are, are experiencing this. Correct. Yep. All right. Can you give us an example of a circumstance someone might find themselves in and how you might help them? Can you tell us a little story? Sure. Um, so before I, I <laughs> say anything, I just want to sort of give like a trigger warning to any listeners. Difficult to listen to. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. This, is, this is one that really I think is... Is particularly difficult to listen to, but I think it's important. We had a client who um, called our crisis line. We have a 24-7 crisis line um, and set up a meeting to come see our advocates. Um, she was in an extremely, extremely physically abusive relationship to the point where she had actually miscarried um, some unborn children uh, due to the violence and abuse um, and had to send her, her other children away for their own safety. Um, and so for her... It, that was like an emergency get out um, type situation that we helped her with. We helped um, put her in shelter for a little bit until we could figure out how to relocate her. And we um, helped research where, um, wherever she needed to go and how to get there. And we helped her with that and um, uh, got her on her way out of out of that and so that she could be free and happy and healthy. Do you find folks reluctant to call you or reluctant to 
make a change or a move because they're afraid for others in their household and they're, that's why they stay. Mm-hmm. That could, I mean, there's lots of reasons why people stay, but that is certainly one. If there's children involved, there's concern over how that may affect them. Uh, fear over how a custody is going to go is a real thing. Abusive parents and spouses are more likely to seek sole custody and 70% of the time they win. Um, so that's a real even though it seems maybe to the outside that that would that's crazy. How does that happen? It happens a lot. And so that's a real fear for folks. I understand people are actually even afraid sometimes of what might happen to their pets. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, pets are certainly used as leverage um, in an abusive situation. And it's like in the law that that counts as um, evidence of abuse. And so that's certainly a fear for, for people who have pets that are important to them. You mentioned that you in this particular story that you just told, that you were able to get this woman to a safe place. Mm-hmm. How does how do you do that? What kinds of places are you able to find for folks? And how do you find places that truly are safe from the person who might be threatening them? Sure. Um, so that can look different for, you know, for different people. Um, so our first um, stop is often um, to get them into uh, shelter here, if they're here. Like a motel, maybe, right. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sort of that's like a temporary thing while we figure out maybe what the next step is. Sometimes they have a place. They're like, I'm just trying to get to my mom in California or whatever. And so we know where they're going. Um, And then we can help. We've helped people map a route to where they're going and get them set up with like gas cards um, along to figure out how much gas they're going to need and figure out um, either hotels along the way or other organizations like ours who have their own shelters along the way. Um, and sort of be like, give them a heads up, this person is coming. It's almost like you've got a little underground railroad of sorts to keep yeah. someone safe along their destination. Yeah, and and so sometimes that's what it looks like, or sometimes it's just, I need to I need to get a bus to Denver, and that's all they need, and so we can help them get, get a bus ticket to there. So Okay. Yeah. How do you work with or interact with other agencies in the Valley, like law enforcement, human services, the hospital, things like that? Mm-hmm. Um, we... Are really lucky that um, we have some really good um, contacts in all of those places that we if we need their help we touch base with them or if they know that they have someone that they can send to us they give us a call so we certainly interact a lot with um, health and human services whether it's just as I said to, to help someone who needs an assistance program get them set up with someone over there pay their utilities whatever or the social workers if they have clients that fall under our mission um, they know that they can uh, give us a call or ask us questions, you know, how does a person, you know, how how can they get to a support group or something like that? And so our advocates are, are often, you know, communicating with those folks. You know, law enforcement, I think, overall knows who we are. And there's a wonderful um, law enforcement advocate, Kathleen Felix, who um, works for law enforcement agencies on behalf of clients. And so we work closely with her when we have an overlapping situation. As well as the hospital, there's a, we have one nurse at the hospital here who is certified to do like sexual assault forensic exams, and she's great, and she will give us a call if someone comes in that she thinks could use our services um, so that we can see if we can help them. So. Are many of the folks who are victims of relationship violence also victims of sexual assault? Or are they two separate things? Is there overlap? Um, we do have clients that have experienced both, and... And that can be either like totally separate incidences where they had one happen here and one happen here. Um, or there's also 
relationship violence can encompass sexual violence as well. So maybe the perpetrator is the same person um, and it's just classified in sort of two different ways. Okay. Yeah. What are some of the underlying causes of, let's start with relationship violence first. Okay. I think really, I mean, that's like the million dollar question. Isn't it? A little bit. Um, It's different probably for everyone, but. Right. I think like at the very root of it is that our society is set up in a way that unfortunately encourages gender violence to a certain extent. And while, as we said, it's not always women that are the victims, they are more likely to be. And I think that we have for generations have lived in a place where um, it's okay. And, you know, women are less and that there's no real accountability for um, violence uh, towards them. And when that's sort of your overarching societal norm, then of course it's going to seem okay in your own little world. And that gets passed down from generation to generation, Mm -hmm. right? So what you witness as a child becomes what you know and Mm -hmm. what you accept. Exactly. Yeah. So how is that cycle broken? How do we get past that now that we are more enlightened and more aware in the 21st century? At least we hope we are. Right. I guess if there's $2 million questions, that's the second one. Um, (laughs) I think that it just, I think the most important thing is to talk about it. Um, You know, we've, while, while like the Me Too movement is sexual assault sort of specific, I think that it illustrates how important it is to give victims a voice when they experience abuse like this. Because if we don't talk about it, it's easy to sweep it under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist and to not hold anyone accountable for it. Um, So I think there's still such a stigma attached to it that working to dismantle that, I think is a huge first step towards allowing victims to come forward and allowing them to seek justice. That stigma is quite a barrier to people Mm-hmm. calling for help isn't it yes and also their their circumstances and feeling vulnerable because like you mentioned sometimes they're in a f- situation where they if they leave they have no financial support mm-hmm. they're leaving literally with the clothes on their backs mm-hmm. and they they have nothing um and there's a, a it makes sense that someone would be afraid to do that mm-hmm. how do you encourage people to get past those fears yeah um it, it, i mean it can be really difficult people stay in situations for years because they just can't they can't get past them so it's you know our our advocates don't um push anyone who does come forward to do anything that they don't feel comfortable with and so we just want to get the message out there that there is help it may be not your friends or family unfortunately and that's really difficult when the people that are most important in your life are not going to be who you can turn to but there's people like us that that can fill that gap and be supportive and help you find what you need um, to get out of that situation for those of you just tuning in today i'm tony todd you're tuned to the west elk word and i'm here chatting with jessica wirtz from project hope of the gunnison valley Let's talk a little bit about sexual assault separately from relationship violence. How prevalent is that in our community? Unfortunately, it's pretty prevalent. Um, We have a lot of victims of sexual assault as our clients. I think we had probably about 35 clients last year that were sexual assault victims. So it's, I don't know if that number shocks anybody, but uh, for our our little town and community and valley, but... And that's just those 
that were reported. Correct. Yeah. Are there any statistics or any numbers that you know of that can shed some light on how many go unreported? Sexual assault is one of the most underreported crimes that we get a sense of um, as far as all crimes across the board. It's pretty low on campuses. It's something like college campus specifically. It's like 5%. And why is that? Even with as much of a spotlight as we shine on it and there are there's sexual awareness week on college campuses now Mm -hmm. why is that still true um again i think the stigma for sexual assault victims is even greater than for victims of, of intimate partner violence we just can't get past the victim blaming culture um or we're struggling to get past it um where we ask why were you alone? Did you drink? What were you wearing? Um, all of those things, asking a victim how they managed to become a victim in that situation. And when that's the response that you get for reporting a horrific trauma that you experienced, I mean, I don't, you know, we I don't blame victims for not wanting to come forward when that's the response they get from friends, family, sometimes, unfortunately, law enforcement or those that are supposed to be there to help them. What are some of the long-term impacts on on individuals who experience this type of violence, in many cases at the hands of someone they either liked or loved or trusted? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we know that, that many of those folks have a higher likelihood of experiencing major depression down the road, PTSD, um, other you know anxiety, other mental health issues. Um, they may have difficulty in... Uh, continuing or forming other relationships with people um, and it can affect their quality of life the way that they're able to go to work go to school everything is just you know or under a cloud potentially for a long time has any progress been made in breaking this cycle of violence I hope so <laughs> I think again um, having the the recent movements that are sexual assault related I think are bringing awareness to the daily situations that um, often women go through. And I hope that that expands to intimate partner violence as well. I think we are progressing in, in how we view intimate partner violence. It's less okay. It's, you know, there used to be such a thing like um, people didn't want to interfere. They're like, oh, that's a private matter inside that person's home. And, you know, we don't want to talk about it. Um, I think we're getting better at that. Um, and recognizing that um, there's different kinds of abuse. It doesn't mean you end up black and blue in the hospital. Right. It can mean that you don't have access to your bank accounts or someone just is so critical of you that you lose your sense of yourself. There's all kinds. Um, And I think even just recognizing that those count as abuse is also um, a step forward. So verbal abuse Mm -hmm. can have almost as detrimental an impact on someone over time as physical abuse. Sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Can you give us an example of someone you were able to get out of a dangerous situation and who has gone on to live a happy, productive life? Yeah, um, we really celebrate those stories um, in our organization um, because it's not always what happens, unfortunately. And so when it does, it's like... Mm -hmm. Christmas and every holiday <laughs> rolled into one. Sure, because you do this for that reason. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. Yeah, um, it's our job to get people out, to not help them anymore because then they're doing it themselves. Um, so we had a woman who was not uh, a native 
uh, to the United States. Um, she met her partner abroad and moved to the U.S. with him, um, married him, moved here. And was her and her partner was American? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and uh, quickly found out that he was not who he seemed to be previously. Um, he became rather controlling financial and emotional um, and spiritual abuse and occasional physical abuse and held her immigration status over her uh, to keep her with him um, as like a threat of, you know, I'll turn you in or you'll, you'll be deported um, kind of thing. And fortunately she came to us and we've been working with her for quite some time and she has since left him and has a job and so has her own financial stability and we've helped her gain her own legal citizenship and she's working on finalizing divorce and moving on with her life. And so she's really, really made huge strides in becoming independent and free. Well, that's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes a success is just that, that they're moving back home, you know, back to wherever um, their family is. And, okay. and, you know, that's great. That they do have a support network mm-hmm. somewhere. How does this affect children? I know that you focus on a romantic relationship between two people and the physical and or mental abuse that occurs between two. But how does this often affect children? Because often there are children in the picture. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and it and it definitely does. You know, growing up in that kind of environment is uh, can definitely be detrimental to their development and their emotional sort of how they learn about relationships. Our advocates don't specifically work uh, with children, but we can provide direct parents if their children need help we can direct them to folks who do um, if they need a counseling or, or things like that okay if listeners are interested in helping project hope and supporting what you do mm-hmm. how can they do that so there's a couple of ways we are always looking actually for community volunteers um, who are willing to go through the training that it takes to be an advocate for you, us you are a nonprofit organization correct right? mm-hmm. yes um, so volunteers are super helpful sure um so if anyone wants to become a volunteer advocate, check out our website and yeah, see if you want to. What does that entail? So it is, I, full disclosure, it's a pretty hefty undertaking. Um, there's a 50-hour training for uh, any advocate, volunteer, or staff to go through so that they're prepared um, because one of the biggest responsibilities is to help us carry that crisis line. It's hugely important to our organization, but it's also a, a burden on our on our advocates. So we ask volunteers to help us with that. Sure. Yeah. So somebody has to be there to answer the phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 24-7. 24-7, which in this valley often means that you can't really go anywhere because you lose cell reception <laughs> as soon as you <laughs> right. leave your house or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the biggest things. If anyone is interested in doing that, you know, please contact us. Our website, uh, hope4gv.org, has information and the description and application and everything on there. We're also looking for volunteer board members. Um, we are short a few folks on our board right now. So that's you don't have to go through 50 hours of training to do that. <laughs> but we're looking for folks who are passionate about our mission and are, and are wanting to put in a few hours a month to help run the board. Are you looking for any specific skills on your board? And not so much skills. Um, I mean, if you have any kind of background in, in victim advocacy or, you know, legal the legal world, that would be wonderful. We are looking, right now, all of our board members are up here in Crested Butte. We would love to have some uh, Down Valley Gunnison Mm -hmm. representation and just, 
anybody who wants to help. And I know you do events and fundraisers and are always accepting of donations in support of this as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's real easy to donate through our website um, or you can you know, mail us a check if that feels better to you. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. as a nonprofit, we're we're always open to that. We feel your pain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have any events coming up? We don't have any coming up right now. We just had our Hope Fest um, a couple of weeks ago. And okay. That was really fun out at the Ibar Ranch. But we're in a little bit of a, a down period as far as events go until April, which is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And then we'll sort of ramp up again with some okay. events. Okay, so look yeah. for some events next April. Mm-hmm. and uh, But in the meantime connect with Project Hope. Definitely. Anytime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else you'd like listeners to know about Project Hope, Jessica? Um, I just, I would like to be a little bit of a voice for some of our clients real quickly. Sure. Um, in regards to, I know this is a huge hot topic in the Valley all over the place right now about um, housing. Um, and I would just like to give a little bit of perspective about where our clients specifically. It's obviously a problem for a lot of people, but our clients who are trying to leave an abusive situation often have nowhere to go because there's nowhere to live here that's affordable. Um, and we, that's like the, the second most um, requested service for our clients after like help with legal aid. They're like, help me with housing. I need to find a place to live. I'm trying to leave this abusive situation. And we have no, we have nothing to offer them. It's one of the things we don't really think about with mm-hmm. regard to our housing situation. We know people are stuck and desperate in some circumstances but we don't think about this circumstance right Mm -hmm. so a lot of our clients have the choice of leaving this community entirely becoming homeless or staying in an abusive situation and none of those are great (laughs) none of those are great none of those are great solutions and so often they stay um, because it's seems like the more feasible option at the time and we just, this last week, we had three clients relocate out of state due to housing and child care costs, right. which if, if they want to, if they would rather be somewhere else, then great, we're happy to help them. But to leave their home because they don't have another option is really sad. That is sad. So I just wanted to talk about that just a little bit. Yeah. Well, Jessica Wirtz from Project Hope, thank you so much for joining me today on the West Elk Word. Thank you for having me. That concludes this edition of the West Elk Word. You can listen to this or any edition of the program anytime. Go to kbut.org, click Programs, then West Elk Word. Up next, Think Radio with Alan Wardis. At 1 o'clock, it's NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and at 2 o'clock, the Aloha Connection. This is Tony Todd for the West Elk Word. You're tuned to KBUT Crested Butte and KGNI Gunnison. Thanks for listening. See you next time. (music) 